This is Crossing Phase, a podcast with a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. And we record on this day, September 11, talking about 9-11, I and my friend John. Welcome back, John. Oh, how you doing, man? It's a somber day, and it's it is. completely by accident that we're doing this because oh, we were going to record right. yesterday. Yeah. And, uh, and we... <laughs> Kind of a fluke of the schedules, and then we get on the get on the line today. And we're like, "Oh, it's nine eleven. Let's let's not well, let's yeah. not talk I mean, about let's talk about it. What should we talk about? Uh, so I I think we should talk about it. Uh, and I and I think you yeah uh, we should. And I, was, we, you know, my my text to you was we sh- you should hammer me. You know, <laughs> just hammer just just hammer me. This is the the moment where you could sit there and be like, all right. You know, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, 9/11 in the context of, of Islam and the community yeah. and all that other good stuff. Yeah. I mean, we're also on the heels of Ashura, the uh-huh. Islamic New Year, mm-hmm. which happened yesterday on the yeah. 10th. And you talked the, a little bit about that on the last episode. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and uh, so it's uh, you know we're in the middle of Muharram, the tail end of Muharram, which is uh-huh. uh, the the the, uh, the holiday that mourns the battle of karbala so it's uh it's and it's because the muslim calendar moves right right so this is this is not a frequent thing necessarily just happens to have aligned this time with with 9-11 yeah yeah and so and you know 9-11 is just you know right now washington that closed 495 down there's a big event around the pentagon Uh Uh, of course the president speak he spoke this morning and uh, so DC is is somber. Although I'm not in Washington right now, I'm, okay. I'm in I'm in New York. So yeah. uh, I'm at my parents' house, and my mother is asking me to uh, sort through the coats. <laughs> sort so through the coats. Yeah. It's, it's the, almost that time of year, huh? She says the closets are too full, so sort through the coats. And, 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 and I'm like, okay, I'll, 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 I'm going to get on the podcast. It's 9/11. Let's let's do this. A little, and, uh, a little bit of pre-fall cleaning. Yeah. Yeah. So. Good. Good. Um, well, I, I naturally it goes without saying nine eleven uh, changed the course of of history, uh, both domestically and internationally, and clearly in the affairs of U.S. government and foreign policy, and uh, also how Americans relate to American Muslims, um, not only American Muslims but Muslims beyond. Right. I think there's a, uh, an unfortunate. Um, but now, uh, kind of direct connection in the minds of people when they think Islam, when American think, when Americans think Islam, you know, we're still 18 years past that, that, that attack, uh, and American Muslims are still dealing with, um, the aftermath of that. And, uh, I think you have a compelling story to tell that you have told bits and pieces of me, of, to me, uh, years ago. Uh, you're a New Yorker, and you're an American Muslim, and uh, I figured it'd be an interesting time to reflect on on your experience and the the experience of your family. But I know that's you know it's kind of a minute picture. We're talking about big picture kinds of things too on this podcast. So uh, where do you want to start? What do you think? It's nine eleven. How are you feeling today? Yeah, well, I mean it's a it's a somber day, and uh, I was just talking with my 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 good friend who was a. Uh, a service buddy and uh that uh is a, a an eastern orthodox priest and he he's coming up on 495 he goes i don't know why it's closed because it's 9 11 buddy 
<laughs> he goes, oh, oh, go, yeah. oh, I say, you at Pentagon right now? Because it should be closed. And he goes, yeah, it's good. So, yeah, it's it. Admittedly, 9-11 in, in its in its in its uh, the event itself. I was just talking with my mother about it. I go, I didn't. The day before on the 10th, I, I had never been to the Twin Towers and I never been. Yeah, I don't do a lot of business in New York. And my first 10 years of my career was international development, working with it on the industry side uh -huh. and with the Department of Commerce. So, I, you know, I never was it just, it, you know, as a New Yorker, Twin Towers never had a reason to go down there. But the day before on the 10th, I was there. Wow. Um, and I was I, a guy blew me off for lunch at the top of the world restaurant. Huh. So I was so that's it. I, I went I was based in Vegas at the time, went home to Vegas uh, that day. Uh -huh. And then the next the next morning, you know, all the all the business happened. So I, I think that my, my sister, my sister was working in the city. She was working at Sherman Sterling. She was a Tulane law grad uh -huh. and she wasn't downtown, but she was running for her life that day or everybody thought they're running for life. She was, I think, closer to Midtown, but they evacuated the building. She was walking across a bridge. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, it's really her story. It's really my, my, my brother's, my in-law's story. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really compelling. Cause I didn't, it, it didn't, I've always done national security stuff, always support national security interests, but I was not involved, not there, not, it, it didn't. It didn't affect me the way I think other people affected other people who were there, and then yeah. obviously the the, the the community, the Uma. So, sister was running for a life that day. Uh, it took a little while for us to find her. A couple weeks, uh, I think, to find her, and she was fine. She was healthy, but you know, all the comms went down. Right. Um, and then so she started processing death certificates pro bono. Now she worked for one of the top law firms in the world. And she was processing these death certificates pro bono, and something happened. She just said, "Why wow, all these people were killed protecting the money of the wealthy, you know, oh. the money of the rich, hmm. and you know, Islamic terror." And I, I'm, I'm, I'm hedging on that term because these guys are sure. These Wahhabis are anti-colonial movement. It's a political movement. It's, yeah. it's not even political Islam. It's using Islam to polit it's politicizing Islam and then using it as an excuse. But really these guys are just disruptive anarchists. And yeah. so, and they just want global rule. And, and until they get that, they're just going to fool around with everybody's lives. Uh -huh. And so, and uh, there's also a business behind terrorism. Right. Uh, ask me the story about when I sat with all the jihadis in in uh, in Afghanistan. So uh, <laughs> self-incriminate self self-incriminating statement. But anyway, the point is, is that so she was processing these death certificates. Something happened. Tulane law graduate recruited by Sherman and Sterling working and one of the top law firms in contract law and and, uh, and corporate law, a tax law. And she just she she said, enough's enough. I'm going to follow my dream. Uh -huh. She 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 left, went to India, and uh, sort of she calls it a self-imposed exile, and started producing music and Bollywood films. Uh -huh. uh, and then uh, and the net result is Vajra. She is Vajra Temple now, and the music that we use, right? Uh, the bumper music. is the bumper music. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so shows you how much I don't know. The bumper <laughs> music is 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 my sister. So. Yeah. Um, it was, but it was a long journey for her. I mean, imagine going to Fordham University, going to Tulane Law, then 
getting a job in a top firm and then having this idea of you're running for your life. And my mother, my sister's story is she, 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 they, she remembers all the smoke and all the debris and she would, no one knew what was happening. And she remembers walking backwards because if something was going to happen, she wanted it to happen. She wanted to see it coming. Wow. So, you know, and, and there was refugees that day, everybody was hitting the, what we call BNT bridges and tunnels. Mm-hmm trying to get the hell out of the city because no one knew what was really going on. It was a, an independence day, meaning the, that movie type of situation. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, yeah, I can't remember that. What's his name? It's just it's chaos. The Fresh Prince. Yeah. yeah. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Will so, Smith. Yeah. Will Smith. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. I don't know how he keeps getting work. I have no idea. <laughs> All right. So, um, but, uh, but it was that type of situation. So it changed her. She went sideways and now she's, she's Hindu. Hmm. You know, I come from a multi-faith family, you know, so I, yeah. I, I, you know, the religions, we so we swim in these waters back and forth. And I have one foot in this sort of ancient world with my grandparents, and my great grandparents. So that's why I'm a Somali, right? And then, uh, but she, she, she shifted into this to being Hindu. Yeah. Out of Islam. Well, she, Hinduism, she, she, well she had already, you know, been... I think she, she had already been non-religious, you uh, know, I think in general, I think that the, her, her, uh, you know, I make no bones about my multi-faith background. You know, my, my father, uh, and my, my mother and father are, are, are Christian. Uh, they've indigenized themselves to, to, to the, the world that they live in. Right. And, yeah. and, uh, my, but my, my great grandfather parents, they passed away when I was 10, they tie to the old world. Uh, and, and that's, and, and influenced me. And I was, and while my parents were, hustling, you know, first to get their college educations. Uh, I was with my grandparents and that's why I have this tie to the old world and why I embodied the sort of Ishmaeli faith. Uh, my, my parents though, my father was able to get his education through the Catholics. Yeah. He was a, he, you know, he essentially comes from the ghetto of the Bronx, uh-huh. uh, and the, at the Bronx of the 50s, 60s and 70s, where it was all gangs. It was, you know, under siege, you know, fight to go to school, fight to come back. And the Catholics gave him his out and he became a Catholic brother, yeah. a Marist brother. And for seven years, no, maybe it's nine years, seven or nine thereabouts. And so that he, he's always a sort of espoused that face, but he's sort of a cultural Catholic now. And uh-huh. my mother is too. Yeah. Um, although my mother will bury statues. My dad was so I've seen Anthony, I guess if you lose things, you got to bury it. Oh, that's that's beyond my knowledge. Upside down. That's a, that's a thing. And uh, so the problem is, is that my mother's been doing it all these years. They start to surface when my dad's mowing the lawn, <laughs> and now they're, they're they're it's fooling around with the tractor. You know, so I don't know, I don't <laughs> no. know. With that. You know, so there's a, you know, so my dad's got an issue with that with Saint Anthony right now. Oh, um, so, yeah, this is just I don't know. So um, huh. but maybe is yeah. it Saint Joseph? I'm like I'm just looking it up real quick. Interesting. I don't. I I want to see St. Anthony. Oh, that's if something's lost. Okay, that's the sell your house. Uh, so yeah, but, oh, but if you lose something, right. something's Moving lost. On. It's St. Yeah, Anthony. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and then the other the other one is uh, uh, the one I always joke about is St. Dimphna. I go, has anybody? It's like it's like D A D I M P H N I A. She's the patient saint of mental illness. Uh-huh. those I know I know those two. You know, because you know, my, my, my grandfather, my father would always say that, you know, the difference between the, the Pena family and, and everyone else is we know we're, we're crazy and we admit it. Everybody else thinks they're sane. So uh, I think the so so my sister, she, you know, she had a profound religious 
professional, religious, and social epiphany uh-huh. that where she knew she had to stop what she was doing and, and transition into something else. Now, my Ali, so it, my brother is in the film industry. He looks like a terrorist. He wears jeans and he wears a, what does he wear? Uh, a, like, a, like a combat jacket, like the, 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 it's called the M65 jacket, like the Vietnam warrior jacket. Uh-huh. He just looks, <laughs> and he's brown, browner, you know, he just looks like uh-huh. a terrorist. And the problem is, I just I, I just remember sitting with him, at the, and he's a New Yorker. Uh, I remember standing with him on the platform, and it was like the two of us, and then everyone, everyone was, I'm talking about Subway Papa, was on the all the way on the other side. Yeah. Like, all the way. Uh-huh. And uh, it had a huge psychological effect on him. Huge yeah. psychological effect. I mean, I wear now the dopey. I wear my, my suit and tie. I'm trying to figure out a new a way to wear a suit without a tie, but <laughs> especially I, I was, especially in August and September. <laughs> well, I you know when I, I tried you know when during the Obama regime, the Obama administration, I, it was we were it was July and it was yeah. just you know DC hot, uh, Africa hot in DC, you know, and <laughs> and uh, and I, and I, we were at the White House and you know, talking with Obama and and I just said, listen, man, why can't you just do that like Filipino? tuxedo you know that shirt with the lines on it <laughs> just wear one of those in the summer and you, you know it'd be so much better for us and then we could all start wearing those and relax and you know he is in his the, the you know Cuba typical Vera, the typical, shirts yeah yeah one of those his typical thing goes john i'll take it under advisement you know it's a good idea <laughs> and uh, that's my impression i don't know if it's that i don't know if it's accurate and i was and i was always so excited i came out and I go god you know that if, if i could get that one win my right. whole career would be you know, like i <laughs> It doesn't matter about you, surf and all these other things that I've done. I'm like, if we could just break from the suits Cap- in the summer. Capitol Hill staff would build a monument to you, John, if you made that oh, happen. Like, you know, like <laughs> if Trump's listening, just tell him it's it's relaxed wear on the, in the summers. Yeah. Why can't we just do that? You know? yeah. I mean, what's the? I'm with you. Yeah. Why Why are we so passionate? So, anyways, um, he you know my he, I I was I was in business the first ten years of my career, so. I wasn't swimming heavily in national security issues unless it was related to uh, tariffs and all kinds of other stuff, exchange of products. But he, he really did, you know, affected him for years and years and years. He he got he became more rigid, became more fundamentalist, became uh-huh. more uh, embedded in his religion. It wasn't until he fell in love with a Christian that uh-huh. he all of a sudden started to hedge on wow you know like i need to be more, a little bit more broader in my thinking even though i've had all this stuff happen for 911 sure i never know people really mean to me i have to figure out a way to sort of bridge the gap myself as this in his like personal journey but he was not i mean I say fundamentally he wasn't a terrorist he wasn't doing any stuff but he got he he found his refuge at the mosque he found his refuge right. praying he found his refuge in isolation yeah. Rather than with with the larger community, me on the other hand, it was nine. It was the like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and uh, the, the the subprime mortgage hit. You know, I worked for the National Association of Home Builders, and 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 I had to, I lost everything in the crash, uh, and and for a brief period, I was uh, uh, lost my house, lost my business, lost everything, and. Uh, and I had to re- rebrand myself. And my, my mother is the one. She says, "You know, you, you're you, you're a master of multi faith. You have all this this ability. You know, you're the sort of a, an approachable from a faith based 
mm-hmm. component. You know, why don't you get into international development? Why don't you figure out what's going on at the Department of State? And that's when I joined AIC, the American Islamic Congress. That's when we met. Yeah. And uh, and I said, you know, I'll, I'll build up this whole this idea of being the approachable Muslim translating Western concepts to collective cultures in Islamic context. And uh-huh. and uh, and that's that's and we you know, we that's how we started collaborating. That's how the, the, the was kind of involved in the Inter- International Religious Freedom Roundtable in 2009, 2010. And then we you know, the, the rest is sort of history is sort of getting involved in all this other stuff. But uh, for for 10 years, my in-laws, their house was stoned. Stoned. And this isn't and this is not in. In Kentucky, this is in Hyde Park, New York. Uh-huh. The neighbors used to come out every, every day. And they used to, Hyde Park, New York, stone the house. Goodness gracious. And, 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 and it was, and it went, it was every day for the first five years. Then it was, then it would be sporadic. Like every Friday, it'd be like a big jamboree and everybody would do it. We call the cops and the, what the cops would say, well, they're on public land. So, the, and I go, but they're stoning the house. And they'd say, well, so the High Park Police, the state troopers, uh, and the sheriff's department all, all just did nothing. They would, they would, the cars, they they would actually drive up and sit and stand there and make sure it didn't get out of hand, but they'd let them, let them do it. Uh, And, you know, my, 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 unconscionable. Oh, it's, it's, and, and, you know, I sit on the, I used to sit on the civil rights division with Eric Treen and, and, and Holder and all these guys. And, you know, it's like, I don't think they realized, you know what it was it was just difficult because you couldn't there's these personal stories reporting and stuff like that but they just they they just let it they i was not only let it happen they stood by watching it happen uh and then like my like i said my in-laws the one one sister she you know completely rejected islam i mean their 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 head coverings were ripped off hmm. you know in school by wow. school class by classmates Jeez. and people did nothing so it was, it's, it's just, there was a, and what I mean by nothing, it was just, you know, it's 9-11, it's this and that, it's, uh, you know, you know, people are angry and a lot of this stuff was excused, um, you know, and, and it's, it's really, I think the, the Muslim community in general went through a lot. Now, I, here I am bitching and moaning and I'm just going to say to you, I, I, I'm, I'm bellyaching a bit, but, you know, we, well, those are, I those are the, not, those are not happy memories and they were breaches of American civil rights. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, but here, here's there's pictures, school pictures, of my in-laws, right? My so my 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 sister-in-law-in-laws, pictures of them, and the entire school picture. This is the the, the teachers in High Park let this happen, where there's the, the Muslims are to the left and the whole class is to the right. You're kidding. No, they have those pictures right now. So, like the. The sheer amount of like meanness, and I don't think people understand. These are children. Yeah, you know, this it's not cool, man. You know, so so there's the, the, the you know, and like I said, I I have a lot to say about Hyde Park, but sure, but, I mean, <laughs> no know, qu- so. but no question, your your family, uh, your siblings, and your parents were uh, clearly uh, they're. Their views today clearly are shaped by those experiences, right? And uh... yeah, and not so much. Not, and like I said, not so much my family. I, I don't want to get too much into my that. Like my parents sure. are fine. Yeah, yeah, sure. But my 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 sister. The event of nine eleven changed her career, changed her social outlook, changed the stuff in her religion to a certain degree. It's really my my, my extent was my, my was what my extended family, my in laws. They 
they're you know they're, they're Pakistani, you know, so they're brown. Uh-huh. Uh, butterscotch caramel was what I say affectionately, and uh, <laughs> and 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 they they went through a lot, yeah. and. As somebody who's into civil rights, into all this stuff, you know, trying to stand up with your chest out and, and, and uh, you know, you're sitting there. What do you do when a cop just is standing there while people are throwing stones? What do you, what do, you do? And you're like, what is your problem? And yeah. I was like, stop these people. And it's like, ah, the public land, you know, they can they, they, you know, it's freedom of speech, freedom of speech. <laughs> then you then, then <laughs> no, you go not. report it. Then you report it to the sheriff's department and the sheriff's department's like, nah. You know, I'm like, let me talk to the officer of the day. And he's like, ah, you know, I know these officers. They wouldn't do that. You know, they don't even, they didn't even show up. Then you go to the, to go to the, to the, to the, what's it called? The, um, the troopers and the troopers are like, well, you know, why would you, you know, why would you, why would you let something like that happen? You, you know, you, you know, it, it, why would, why would you do it? Like it's on me. I go, you guys are supposed to stop people from assaulting people. Well, they're not really assaulting anybody there. I go, it's private property. And go, well, when the stone leaves their hand, it's really in, what you know like these are the conversations these conversations yeah. and so when you're so you go back home and you're thinking well i guess i got to i got to take take this into my own hands now here's the problem i, I guess you, i have to go stand in front of the rock before, yeah i got to right? stand in front of the rock <laughs> the or i'm going to yeah or i'm going to have to uh, uh go into you know take it take like it said take do i become a vigilante or do i go out, do i get embedded in into the community. And that's part of the problem. I don't think people realized yeah. how much hate there was and why people end up going into becoming isolated from because they from the community and they from the, the American community because they are being isolated right. and are singled out and are being identified. I mean, these are your classmates. These are people that knew my in-laws family. Uh, that knew everybody. Uh, yeah. They went to school with them. They, you know, lived on their block. They read the same newspapers. They did all. They my 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 mother-in-law was was uh, worked at the Dunkin' Donuts. Everybody knew her. Yeah. Every she poured coffee for the entire town, and everybody knew her. Uh, and so it wasn't like she was a stranger or like they were all they were immigrants. You yeah. know, they were this that. Boo, boo, boo. No, they. They they knew she was the Pakistani lady with the with the that would wear the cultural clothes uh-huh. and serve the coffee with the smile you know make you know just joke around and do stuff and then you, you imagine overnight you have no there's nobody's you know it's mob mob rule mob, mob family nobody nobody nobody's your friend Gosh, uh, right. and and then it's aggressive so I don't know I mean I I can. I, I understand why people went the other way and into why Muslims kind of have gotten uh, during that during that period. There's an article in the Religion News Service right now about the. It's like it, I don't know. It's, 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 it's the 9/11 timeline that project that traces underlying Islamophobia and the war on terror. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's you know, it, there's three things. It says 2005 torture, and then it says yeah. 2015 surveillance. And then it says 2019 there's something i don't know what this says i'm yeah. trying to figure out what this is it says uh dominique ray's execution or something i i you know the, look the, the pictures that they're showing in rnf i, I they're, they're like of combatants yeah so i don't know you I mean we're talking we're not talking about kind of a miss maybe a missed opportunity to show what happened to american citizens yeah, I think like if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're talking about Islamophobia, Islamophobia is a domestic issue. The term, as far as I'm concerned, 
when it comes to Islamophobia, global Islamophobia, I don't know if it's the term is fits that. Islamophobia has a very specific meaning in America. Here's if you look, if you're not we, you, anybody can try to indigenize themselves to to the 9/11 attacks. But the reality is, unless you're American, I don't think you get it. Yeah. So that's number one. You can jump on board, but I don't think you get it. Yeah. So that's number one. Number yeah. two is. Islamophobia in our country means something. It means a break in American values. It means that instead of being the land of the free, home of the brave, founded on, on the principle of religious freedom, it means we're going to start building the Christian narrative harder and faster. And guess what? If you're Muslim, you're a second-class citizen now. I always, I did this, I used to have this, this thing called the Witness Series. And the witness here, and I feel like I'm talking too much on this one. But <laughs> That's I, right. Well, I, just, I I think you have, I I would interrupt you, but like I, I think you have an important story to share that isn't frequently heard by my evangelical friends. And so I woke up this morning and I see most of my evangelical friends, many, um, you know, posting their recollections on 9-11 and I have my own you know, I remember where I was and what I was doing and, and you know, watched the second plane uh, fly into the tower on the news. And uh, I was in Nashville, Tennessee for ERLC trustee meetings and, you know, uh, airports were shut down. And so we were, uh, staff was scrambling to basically book as many uh, rental cars as possible for the trustees who needed to travel to get back home. And, but as dramatic as that was, um, I, I think, uh, there's a lot of folks in my in my orbit uh, who haven't necessarily heard a story like yours, so I'm kind of I'm uh, on this episode in particular, uh, kind of content to sit back and and hear hear some of your thoughts. No, I appreciate that. I mean, I don't. I guess I you know, like I said, it, my family was not a really fat. My family indigenized themselves to America. We're Christians, you know. That my parents are, you know, I'm Muslim because I was tied to like because of my grandparents and my great grandparents. So we didn't really get, and I was in business. So we really didn't, that really didn't hit us. My in-laws, certainly. Once I joined AIC, the American Islamic Congress, yeah. forget about it. Um, I was, I, I just, I, I used to do this thing called the Witness Series, and it was shared persecution. So a Muslim and a Jew, a Muslim and a uh, Sikh, a Muslim and some other faith groups, uh-huh. and we would talk about shared persecution. And I remember talking with Hans Deep Singh, uh, who's, uh, who's a lawyer, sick, part of the sick community. And, uh, and I, I shut down and I shut down an airport. So I was, I was, it's, uh, Stuart Newberg, an airport here in upstate New York. Uh-huh. And I was, you know, my parents in, are in Poughkeepsie. And so I was, <laughs> I was, <laughs> you know, um, it's like the dark side it, of the moon. It's, it, yeah, but it's a fun name to say, Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie, it is. It's a you know American Indian name, so it means a Bendin River or deep part of the river or something like that. Anyways, beautiful Hudson Valley, see the American Revolution, wonderful place. So yeah. uh, French and Indian War. Uh, so the uh, Dutch history, sixteen oh four patent. So these are all plugs. Sure, yeah. skills. Awesome. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> well, I have, I have a distant ancestor who's buried up there somewhere. I'm searching. It's a story for another time. So I know I'm you're still, still searching. searching. For him. I did. I did. I went. I did take a day to go find, try to find it, your your ancestor up in Columbia County. The challenge was, I, like I said, it gets a little bit sparse up there, right. and there was. I think I told you there was an ice cream place, a soft ice cream with a peacock. 
literally a peacock, <laughs> not somebody who was just, and I was like, you got to stop. I don't know what's going on. And I, I was with my best friend and I was like, I don't know what we're doing here, but we got it. Well, I don't know what's happened. We, let's get some soft ice cream farm from the farm and look at the peacock. So, um, and then we were like, what are we doing? And I completely got off, off the rail. So I apologize. <laughs> You're distracted by ice cream and a peacock. <laughs> so, which is, I think Plausible story, John. Sure. Whatever. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, in, in Hudson, New York, uh, right near uh, Martin Van Buren's house, uh, the you know there's a there's an ice cream stand there on the corner of Route Nine and Nine G, Nine and Nine G. I think it's Nine A and Nine G. And right at that crossroads, there's a there's a there's a stand there, uh, and it's like some guy's house, and they have like a little stand, and he uh, has peacocks. How wow, cool is that? That's very cool. Yeah, like I don't know. I'm I'm just <laughs> I guess I you know like I, I'm. I'm easily distracted. Don't ever go on a car ride with me. If it's a three-hour car ride, we're stopping 20 times. I'm like, pie. Maybe it is the world's best pie. Let's stop. So, you know, like, it's totally ridiculous. So, um, what's the story? So, yeah. So we, I don't know what we're talking about. What were we talking about? See America. Uh, oh, the airport. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, the airport. So it was, yeah. So it was uh, Stuart Newberg. I had my Mustafa beard, and I was getting on the plane, and uh, I had gone through security. Sat in the in the in the uh, you know waiting for the plane for an hour, then boarded the plane. Minding my own business, doing my own thing. Troopers come on the plane, yank me off. See this this the guy. Now imagine they come on board and they go, "This is the guy." Everybody on the plane's looking. And they grab me, pull me off. I I I, I <laughs> so I start walking with them through the airport. It's a small airport. And I say, what's going on? And, and I said, am I going to make my plane? And the trooper says, you're not going to make anything. And I go, so do you want to tell me what's going on? Do you not want to tell me what's going on? So I get all the way back to the security. Security's held up. All the people are held up in security. There's one security checkpoint. And they start going through my stuff. Uh-huh. And the, the, the trooper says, uh, "I go." so I go, what's, what is going on here? Someone needs to tell me. And they go, uh, you had a, a, a knife in your bag. And when someone told you to stop it, you ran. So I, go, so I go, okay, let me just start right there. Number one is I don't run. Number two, if I, you're saying that I, someone accused me of a knife, I ran then up the escalator because there's escalators right there in the stairs, uh-huh. then sat for an hour, then boarded the train, the plane, the plane. And you guys, you guys weren't cracking the case. You guys were on the hunt in the airport the whole time looking for me while I was sitting there. I go, look, if someone ran from this checkpoint, everybody be on you. I go, so this is a lie. Uh, and essentially what happened was there was a good cop, bad cop, and the good cop was saying, well, we have a lot of people here that uh, that are a little bit antsy about Muslims. And I go, well, how do you know I'm Muslim? Uh-huh. And, uh, and 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 they just blew past that comment. Sure. And they said, well, yeah. you know, is like no one wants to be, you know, culpable if, some, if, if, a, if a terrorist gets on a plane. So I said, so, so because I have a beard and I look Muslim, you guys pulled me off the plane, accused me of something that didn't happen, and now I'm I'm stopped here, and and you know my arms are out, and this is was the conversation I had with Hans Deep Singh at this event called the Witness Series. I'm standing there with my hands out, uh-huh. and all I could see is everyone backed up in security, and this little girl, and I don't know how old she was, but she was like waist high, uh-huh. is crying. And I make up the story that she was going to like Disney World. And all she knows is a bearded man is stopping her from going to Disney World. Yeah. They shut the airport down for 12 hours. Good. 12 hours. 12 hours. And everybody was pissed. And then when they released the planes, they I was able allowed to go back on the plane and fly across the country with the people that saw me being accused of, of something. Yeah. Pulled off. 
it was a profound moment for me. A few uncomfortable hours, huh? In 2008, yeah. 2008, and that's what the thing that made me make the decision to join the American Islamic Congress and to advocate and to, and to start stuff like the Witness series, you know, we we started this this program called, uh, um, oh God, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, it was a blood drive during the month of September, um, mm -hmm. and uh, um, Muslims for, I can't, Muslims for Life was called. So we started that with the Ahmadi community, uh -huh. and we would have go have, uh, all over the all over the country have Muslims during September donate blood. Uh, we, we, you know, a lot of thoughtful, uh, participation from the community to try to create inroads with the larger faith communities and, and, and American community to try to build those bridges back. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, there was not a lot of Muslims for life and there was a lot of Muslims that participated. Uh -huh. There wasn't a lot of other faiths that participated. Yeah. You know, had it up on the website, would promote it, and they're like, "Eh, you know, I'll use my own blood drive." But you know, to, what a great opportunity for solidarity to show solidarity and and unity and do stuff, and uh, so I, I, I mean, that was that was my turning point. It was in two thousand eight. It was eight years, you know, you know, you know, it was years and years and years later, you know. So, yeah. so the, the challenge was is that that made me say, "Well, I've got to do something. Maybe I should stop making money." And I left a very lucrative career to join the American Islamic Congress, was making fifty thousand dollars a year, and uh, and trying to rally the American Muslim community and the global Muslim community while doing international development and do multi faith work to try to build that those inroads. And I, I I'd say it worked, but uh -huh. uh, to a certain degree. But that was my th my struggle. It happened years later. That was it was a really not only uncomfortable. But it was strange. It was just a strange feeling. Yeah. And later we got into all this, and and uh, and it was. Uh, I mean, imagine shutting an airport. I don't. I don't go to Stuart Newberg, ever, now. Yeah. And all Muslims think twice about traveling. Sure. All of them. So it was. It's like adverse conditioning. You know, you you think twice about 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 getting on a plane, about making your plans, about going to the airport, and. Because you don't, you know, someone you have a beard. People are going to say, "Oh, he might, he, maybe he's Muslim, maybe he's this, maybe he's that." You might get stopped. I get stopped all the time when I get in the airport. You know, I look suspicious. I act suspicious. You know, like I, I can't help it. You know, like I'm always confused, disoriented. You know, I'm always, you know, eating two different types of burgers because I'm like, maybe the McDonald's burger is different than the Five Guys. Let's try to, you know, like I, I'm always doing weird stuff when I'm in the airport. So. And so I, I'm not, that has nothing to do with profile. profile. It has to do with, I'm purely <laughs> look just like kinda, I'm up to something. Well, it's why I agreed to do a podcast with you, John, because you're a character. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always looking for something in my bag, and 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 then because I'm like, did I put that in there? Where is that? I, you know, I get crazy. I'm like, where's my? Did I? Is my passport there? All right, I just checked it. Let me check again. Like I, I get, you know, so I yeah. look like I'm doing weird <laughs> stuff all the time at the airport. Um, <laughs> always in motion. <laughs> well, I, I'm reading a Lenin book right now. There hasn't there hasn't been a book written on Lenin in 20 years. Imagine that. So uh -huh. I'm reading this book on Lenin, and I was I was reading it on the train. This guy goes, "What are you reading Lenin Lenin about?" And I go, "I was a Russian historian. I I, I studied Russian history. It hasn't been a real book written on 20 years ago." Because you a communist? Cool. <laughs> You know, I know when when I when I read, I said to I go, I I read a, I read a gourmet book, a magazine on gourmet cooking. Doesn't mean I'm a gourmet cook. Exactly. I don't know what to tell you. You know, like I can't, like I don't even understand that connection. 
<laughs> so, you know, and he was like, well, you know, you know, with, with Putin and election meddling, I go, election, what do you, it's like, <laughs> it's is this conversation a, It's a history book. <laughs> okay, is this, is this, I was like, I don't even know what this conversation is about. But admittedly, I'm very critical about travel now, uh-huh. um, was, was for a long time because of that experience. And I was like, I'm not getting on a plane. I'm not going to, and I don't go to anywhere near Stuart Newberg. That trooper, I don't remember his name, but he was a jerk to me. Yeah. He was, and he was, I mean, not respectful, overly, he was, this is the problem. Everybody after 9-11, I love, you know, law enforcement, a lot of friends in law, biggest thing is they want to catch a terrorist. They want to be a hero. Yeah. So that guy was walking tall. He was like, I got one. See something, say something, right? Yeah. 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 And that, so. That can, that can be taken to an extreme clearly. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, as somebody who supports national security interests and, and, yeah. and is involved in all this stuff, I mean, I get it, you know, but we've got, we're not, we're not, we're not doing, doing a just job of protecting each other when it's only see something, say something with the guy with the beard, when yeah. we got guys shooting up uh, El Paso and, Del- and Dayton and everybody else, you uh-huh. know, we got, uh, you know, so I, I just, so anyways, that's my, my story didn't happen a lot later. Um, and my, and that, that's why I do what I do. That's why I make no money. That's why I'm on the, on the podcast <laughs> yeah. with you. That's why I, uh, I you know, I, I support multi-faith work and, and, uh, and try very to, to make sure that we, you know, we do what we need to do yeah. to, to, to build the bridges between our communities. I mean, and, that's why we joke a lot. You yeah. Know? Right. Well, and, and what, what is many things interesting to me about, about that, uh, your experience, but in spite of that experience, one of the projects some of the projects you led or what you mentioned earlier, trying to communicate Western values, I think you described, into more collective societies. I'd like to like you to unpack that a little bit um, because I think it's important for American Christians to hear a little bit about too. Um, I, but having seen some of your work, I think there you guys used some unique tools from American history. To me, Talk to me a little bit about kind of the big picture of that project, taking Western values and trying to inculcate them into other societies that you you called collective societies? Well, yeah, I mean, so it was, it was Fukuyama, I think it was the guy, the author who said Clash of Clash of Cultures, wrote this book. And uh, he sort of set the stage between this idea of the East and the West. Uh-huh. And so they're not, they're, they, they're not, uh, they can't work together. They, you know, they're, 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 they're not compatible. So here's the problem is that American Muslims, it, it is, they are compatible. First of all, he was wrong. Yeah. And uh, that's number one. And, and I don't think anybody who's ever been so wrong could become so popular, um, because he's still referenced and used in international development. If you have an IR degree, an international relations degree from any university, you read, you've read his book. Yeah. Uh, and I think it reinforces a false narrative. American Muslims have the are are some are the most some of the most affluent people in the country. One of the most affluent groups. I did an event called uh, Faith, Money, Power, and uh, it was the part of the Capitol Hill Distinguished Speaker Series while I was at the American American Islamic Congress, and it it focused focused on how we have the all the populations, religious populations in the country have the lowest pay gap. Some of the the most and one of the most affluent communities, um, one of the the most successful communities as far as economic, social integration and and so forth, juxtaposed to like, let's just take the Chinese. The Chinese don't do that. 
Right. Now, I'm not bashing the Chinese, but there's a Chinatown in every town, and there's people in Chinatown that have never learned English. Let's just start with that. Okay. okay? So the integration, <clears throat> and they and the Chinese use their own banks. The Chinese use their own uh, their own community, but they don't really branch outside of that. <laughs> so. Um, it, it, a lesson in integration, right? So when people say, well, Muslims don't integrate, they're not compatible, they're not this, they're not that, I'm going, well, here's another collective culture, China, the Chinese, China, China, right? And China, the Chinese culture is is collective in nature. Um, um, and and I would I would argue that there's more of, a, of an incompatibility argument with the Chinese culture and the Chinese population than there is America, with the Muslims, um, particularly American Muslims. So we implement implemented a, uh, a number of programs that would that would speak to this, for example, Project Nora. And Project Nora is a college, was a college, college program, 95 campuses all over the country that dealt with social justice issues, multi-faith issues, and, and then had uh, forays back and forth to DC. 50% of the chapters were opened by non-Muslims. Non-Muslims. Yeah. And so it gave us an opportunity to collaborate with multi-faith groups they think the thing that you were talking that you're speaking to is really these international programs that we did so going to we had programming in tunisia egypt and iraq we had programming in some programming in asia and and sub-saharan africa but i think that there's and that's within the the muslim american muslim community and i think the problems with the international global muslim community and the domestic muslim community are the same it's participation in government programming it's understanding governmental process and what it means to be a citizen. And so you can come from a collective culture yeah. and, and, and not, and, and want still be a responsible and participatory member of society. Because the challenge is, is that when it's a tribal identity or a religious identity, you, you don't know or know or understand what the participation in government process is. Right. right. So there's there's citizenship which is not just voting it's knowing your rights and how to advocate for it right and then the next step is i want to build an issue based or constituency based engagement for example uh human rights is really important to me or gender rights are really important to me you know the rights of women for example uh, and participating in building civil society or participating in civil society and then the third is participation in government uh, where you're either become elected official or civil servant or join the military or whatever it is so we used to do a, a lot of programming both domestically and internationally and interestingly enough they were the same participation in government programming which my muslim friends hated it because the, the acronym's pig but I would say it's oh, a lot, no. right? So, you know, so they hated it. You know, so it was, it goes back to halal pork, right? So this is halal pork. So that seems uh, like a self-inflicted uh, wound there. Or no, but you know, what I know? Like, you know, you always try to poke fun at nonsense, right? So, you know, it, it, then the word is not the acronym isn't bad, you know. But sure, it was so sure. I got so much heat for that. They go, what? they're like, we're not using the acronym, John. Can't do it. So, um, so in any event, <laughs> it's a lot, it's a little bit comedy. So, um, but the thing is that I advocate that Muslim culture has been um, practicing democracy before anybody else, um, or as long as anybody else, particularly at the Shura and Jirga level, particularly at the, at the, what we call informal systems globally, everything was one person, one vote. Um, and, and, and everything was decided as a collective for the, the 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 preservation of the larger the larger purpose, right? Um, so so particularly in Afghanistan, right? So you know I have Afghan this I have, I have Afghan descent, so my distant right. family 
Yeah. So the sure and jerk a level there. Democracy has been practiced for you. Afghans are probably one of the mo the best and most versed uh, cultures on in, in democracy. Uh, and there, an Afghan democracy is probably one of the most unique and interesting experiments because the West has a tendency to devalue existing systems within within Muslim culture. They call them informal systems. Okay. So the shura, which is the the, the sort of village level jirga, uh -huh. is the is the is the um, uh, is the mechanism for uh, formal government participation, quasi parliamentary. Uh -huh. uh, in 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 Afghanistan, the 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 parliamentary system that exists right now is called the Jirga system, on the national level, right? And that they just took that informal system and formalized it, the terminology, and used utilized that in government. And it's a really thoughtful way of doing of of merging both worlds. Um, but the problem with uh, the challenge, I think, and I know I'm dancing around your question. This is what Afghans do the right thing. <laughs> They explain rather than answer. <laughs> we'll, get, so, we'll get you back to it. Is is the problem is there's a there's an internal struggle, jihad, uh -huh. you know, in right. the Muslim community there, and there's the external. Internally, American Muslims have been fighting a narrative that has been controlled by well-funded conservative Muslims that interpret religious text, define what religion is, and tell you how to be a Muslim. Mm -hmm. When I was at AIC, we provided the alternate voice. American Islamic Congress was the alternate voice for Muslims. And so it was open warfare against these entities. 50, they had a 50 year head start funded by all kinds of money uh, from, from, from the Middle East. Their board members, their founding members all had ties to all these organizations. I mean, you can, they all, it's, it's really open. It's like MPAC, you know, Muslim Public Affairs Council, ISNA, Islamic Society of North America, CARE, uh, ICNA. Those groups that all existed at that time were at their 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 apex, their high point. Fifty year history. They were they there was no other game in town. Uh, and if any game did come to town, they didn't have the the funding nor the access to the government. Yeah. Uh, and they would say, oh, you know, you you pray five times a day. You you wear the hijab. You you know do this. Arab Muslims were always were always the top of the pyramid. Right. They were as far as like the 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 you know command and control Arab Muslims come first. Uh, and uh, and then all of the other populations come come after ethnic po and cultural populations come after that. That's changed now dramatically. And, and uh, but you can't argue with what has happened or what after post 9-11, you know, un, they, a lot of these entities are unindicted co-conspirators of 9-11 right. because they had members of the board that were Muslim Brotherhood or uh, affiliated with the Wahhabis and Diobanis and all these other things. Yeah. Um, I think now, they've come. So now, now no one wants to touch him or, or do business with him or. Right. Well, here's here's the problem is that a lot of these entities now are just right of center. In the in the when it comes to cons being conservative, because there's ISIS and there's right. the Taliban, and now there's much worse dudes on campus. Um, I, I when I say open warfare, I chose to speak have my programs speak for themselves and implement programming where I think Muslims should have been the top advocates, for example, for international religious freedom, which is why we led the NGO campaign for the reauthorization of of, of USERF, the United States Commission for International Religious Freedom. Um, there, my, my some of my colleagues, 
at, at AIC. Certainly were, it was open, it, it was open warfare and could could get a little bit uh, heated uh, in, in the conversations. Nasser Wadadi, who was our director of outreach during that time, was uh, quite vocal. Um, and, and admittedly, we were running international programming from 2009, 2013. And we, one of, one of our, one of our employees, one of the people that we helped train, Dahlia Ziada, organized Tahrir Square, uh, and, and which is, you know, she's one of the people credited with the, sparking the Arab Spring in Egypt. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, we and so we, you talk about implementing these programs in Tunisia, Egypt and Iraq, particularly Tunisia, Tunisia and Egypt. AIC was a core player in, in pushing that, that social and political reform. Now, I'm not going to get into whether or not it was right or wrong, because we were really good at being disruptive and creating change. But then when change came, the only people that were adept at governmental process was the Muslim Brotherhood. So right. then they rocked in there. <laughs> yeah. So, and which I was always very critical about making sure we had participation in government programming. But that was a mixed bag whether the success of implementing those programs because the, the US government at that point wasn't funding that. They were funding more social justice and human rights programming. So uh, through programs like MEPI, Middle East Partnership Initiative, and through USAID and through uh, other bureaus like DRL, Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor at, at state. Yeah. So. So this, so that, so we implemented these. We were really good at creating disruption and really good at creating, essentially, a revolution, regime change. But we weren't good at the next step. And that's that's not because Islam is not co- compatible with democracy. That's just because it, it, essentially the, the 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 extremists, Muslim Brotherhood, for example, were more adept at doing it. They've been yeah. sitting in prison for all these years studying democracy and governmental process. You know, these guys, these nerds, were just waiting to come out. And 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 we created an environment that was ripe for them to understand how to navigate these halls of the parliamentary halls and these governmental halls to yeah. gain to garner kind of support and gain power. And it's destroyed Tunisia, destroyed yeah. them. Um, we're talking about the, one of the most uh, liberal liberal uh, Muslim countries in the world, and the Muslim Brotherhood is now has a heavy presence there. They've rebranded themselves the Enhada Party, which is now means Democratic Party. Um, and some of their top officials, uh, MP Labidi is a woman there that talks about women's empowerment and she's Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, she's their top operative, female operative in North Africa. During the Muslim ban here in America, she was here visiting and guests of uh, the United States Institute for Peace and, and uh, Foundation for Democracy and a few other places. So, you know, there's now the lines are so blurred, we don't know who's what and who's who. Yeah. Um, so... I, I would say that we we definitely implemented a lot of good programming. Uh, we were only one guiding light and one when people I always say guiding light, maybe that's two. We were one <laughs> entity that was trying really hard and right. we had a lot of support. You're uh, trying to do something and, different. And and we what but when when as things expanded to a point where it was like the Arab Spring, more people needed to get on board. And it was very, very difficult uh, yeah. for I think a lot of organizations to pivot in that direction because people don't know how to navigate the, the, the Muslim waters, you know. Yeah. And it's not right now. Islamic Society of North America, I, 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 they weren't my favorite favorite organization back in the day. Now, you know, you've got Dr. Syed who's really, you know, really trying hard to to steer the ship in the right direction, and he's doing very thoughtfully doing that. Uh, 
Um, a lot of people that we interacted with in the past that, that I wouldn't necessarily be interacting with now have, are, have come into a thinking of we need to certainly be more collaborative. And guess what? We're not defining what a Muslim is anymore. We're not going to yeah. tell you to be a Muslim. We're going to, that's very dangerous and treacherous waters. Yeah. And so internally, I think the community is going through this, this renaissance because they're not the only entity in town. There's Muslims for Progressive Values. There's American Islamic Congress. There's uh, One Million Voices. There's uh, Across Red Lines. There's much more populated NGO civil society within the Muslim community and not just the five entities that say they represent Islam. Yeah. Uh, and it's much more diverse now. So I don't know if you need the Johnny P's anymore. You know, I, I, <laughs> I think there's enough groups with constituencies that are doing wonderful things where... Uh, you know, the Christian community, how, you know, the, the, to a certain degree, when we had that last that last conversation about the family, yeah, there's that they're just one Christian group. All you guys are vying for their pole position. Right. And there's so many of you on so many issues. There's so much chatter that nothing really happens. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know like, so um, I, I, don't, I mean that affectionately. I mean, of course, I stuff know. happens. But I know. But in, with the Muslim community, when uh, uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, there was nothing but these entities. There was nobody. And now it's so diverse. And there's, like I said, Muslim progressive values are doing like stuff about uh, climate change and and uh, green technology, green, you know, green living. Uh, Muslims that do that, you know, that, that's very specialized. That, would, that didn't exist 20 years ago, yeah. never would exist 10 years ago. And now they have chapters all over the world. And it's, it, there's, it's, and it's really a cultural Muslim concept. So it's like Muslims that are, you know, culturally Muslim, but they're not, may not salat out all the time. They may not be uh, going to the mosque or the masjid, but they're, they, they have that Muslim identity and they believe in green technology. Yeah. Okay. That's just now, one are of they, their ideas. Are, now, are they drawing, and I'm asking this because there are Christian groups who, who do similar things. Are they trying to draw on Islamic theology at all in, in the green endeavor or is that, or is that something different? They do, you know, they, they, they do use, you know, they, the, the, the problem is, is that the word un-Islamic and haram is thrown around all the time. I, I don't know what you, what do you guys say? You guys say it's a sin or it's what, when somebody's Christian doing something that's unchristian. Yeah. Yes. It's a sin. I don't there know. Are, there are tears, you know, unethical, unbiblical, unchristian, her, heretical. Uh, heretical yeah that's be, a good one her, yeah yeah so would like, be, me, be make, extreme look i make no bones about it you know what i mean i'll slot out and just i haram out or so you know, you know I, so, sometimes what sometimes what gets left out is stuff that's just extra biblical or or even sub-biblical right so it's it's partially biblical but not fully or just extra biblical like there's no text that you can really connect to whatever issue someone is trying to proclaim or advance. So anyway, I, I, well, no, no. I mean, well, that's where Sharia comes in. You know, Sharia is like, if you follow a specific book of Islamic law, the idea is that these, whether it's Sunni or Shia, uh, the, the, these books of Islamic law sort of dictate to you. It's really case law. It's, it's, uh, in particular in Shia society, it'd be like an Ayatollah or Imam. Something came to them and they 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 arbitrated over an issue and then they document it, right? So, uh, and the same thing with the Sunni side. So there's no there's multiple Sharias out there because I know a lot of people are nervous about Sharia and we should have a show on this, but they they specifically talk about 
instances that you can reference. Oh, you want to know what I'm thinking about, you know, buying a house, buying a horse and, uh, and drinking a, a, you know, I'm thinking about distilling wine, but, but not, but not drinking it. There's going to be a, a ruling on that, for example. <laughs> sure. You know, well, you know, so, um, it, from your sect and if there isn't, you bring that and they'll are, you bring that instance and they'll arbitrate, you know, I always think of Solomon cut the baby in half. You know, so, you know, like that type of scenario happens and then they document it, and that's Sharia, right? Um, that goes in the book of Islamic law that's updated every year for yeah. each sect, right? Yeah. And so, so Sharia is something that very, very basically develops within its own legal, uh, cultural context. Is that fair to say? So there, there are yeah. multiple Sharias. Is that right? There are multiple Sharias. So like, for example, Sistani on the Shia side, Sistani has his own Sharia law. And Shirazi has his own Sharia law. There's they're two different. One's more conservative than the other. Um, there's the the Islamic law Sharia is still adhered to all over the Middle East, and in many cases, it's still Ottoman law, which is Ottoman law is Hanafi, the yeah. the Sunni Hanafi sect, yeah. and then it differs. When it's too when Hanafi is too strict to the Maliki, which is another school, another uh, um, uh, another sect in the Sunni side. So in in Israel right now, there's Sharia um, uh, judges, and they arbitrate using Ottoman law, yeah. which is Hanafi and Maliki. Yeah, that's what they do. So and, and so that right there is a perfect example of how there's not two, there's not one overarching Sharia, and Sharia is always subordinate to the law of the land. Unless it's unless it's outlined in the Constitution, right? right so, right. so, uh, so I, I, I think Pakistan is the only country that says, well, it's just the Saudi, right? It's the Saudis. The Saudis have their own type of Sharia, Wahhabi. They have the, a, a police of vice and virtue, and they're ready to, you know, they're ready to just oppress whoever they need to oppress. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I, so, I've never had a problem there. So I, I'm saying that not. Yeah. Getting back to my, part of my earlier question, uh, I recall uh, you guys, one of the tools you used was, because I, I, don't, I don't think it was original to you, but you tra was it a translation of the Martin Luther King story? Oh my God, yeah. Like in comic oh. book form? Oh, yeah. That, that do was, I remember that? The, that was one the, of the things you showed the me early on. Yeah, yeah, the Montgomery story. You should, yeah, well, you should, we, should, we should have led that. So, in the Arab Spring, people were using signs that said, we shall overcome in English and Arabic. Yeah. How cool is that? So, um, yeah, so we had, uh, so we took a, a Which comes Montgomery from, story. <laughs> it comes from an, Amer yes. an American experience. This uh, entity came up with a, um, a, a comic book on the, on the Montgomery story. So Martin Luther King, The March, and it's a comic book. We translated it to Farsi and, and, and Arabic. And then we used it in our, our, our social justice programming and human rights programming. So we had a program, a program called Fahim Haki, which uh, means in Arabic, know your rights yeah. for women all throughout Egypt. And we use those comic books to help them know, not like, like we were talking about participation in government programming, not just voting, but knowing where your rights and how to advocate. And those comic books were essential in doing that. And the translation was essential. And uh, we had very thoughtful players. We had uh, uh, Russell Campbell, who was a, who marched with Martin Luther King, work with us on this, um, and advocate for and help us translate, uh, not the, the the translation from a language, but translate Martin Luther King esque concepts into and in and de deconstruct them. Yeah. And then we would use our expertise of Islamic culture to 
reassemble into digestible pieces to collective cultures in Islamic context. And the, 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 the Montgomery story was one of them. So I, I think that that it was it was very very successful because it was not only referenced in the Arab Spring, it was utilized as an operational handbook for the Arab Spring: social justice, uh, passive resistance, and assembly of, of people. Right, that, you know, going out into into the, the public spaces and demanding reform, which is there's a it's not indirect; it's directly to Martin Luther King and his business. Yeah. So if it, it was any, an American Baptist minister and civil rights advocate yeah the plug the baptist or you know like you know let's let's do we should i just do the shahada what, what do you have to do do i need to get baptized can i be a, can I be a pastor why don't i be a multi the first muslim baptist multi-faith pastor how about that <laughs> you know i'll i'll, I'll you know, pop a baptism on me and we'll just do it Pop a baptism on you. See, this is what I'm dealing with, folks. <laughs> like, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what that. Just pop, you know, like, why, why can't we do? We can do that, and we, like, we can, you know, do you guys? You guys do the host. You guys do all that business. You guys take the bread. The the bread and the wine. Yeah. 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 Well, bread. Is it and actually grape wine juice. or is it no, juice? It's grape juice. All right, because you guys don't believe in transubstantiation. Correct. Which is the the blood and the body actually become actually the actually blood become and body of Christ exactly yeah but Protestants don't believe that so. that's more more of a, a Catholic thing okay. which oddly enough well we won't get into that Paul, remember I sent Paul, you the article Paul, Paul, yeah don't believe in it yeah I yeah Paul indicates so, the majority yeah and what was my comment so are are most Catholics Baptist now? right yeah Is that true yeah. Well, there, well, there's more. There's more to it than the transubstantiation thing, but there's certainly more. Certainly, that that population is certainly more Protestant than uh, than Catholic on that particular issue. Uh, there are other issues like the you know the the structure of the church and uh, other things. Um, the you know authority of the apocrypha and uh, the authority of the Pope and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like this is a fun show, but maybe it's 9-11, so it can't be, can't be fun. <laughs> can't be too fun. All right, pro prosperity uh, gospel means that you're going you're gonna, to— Well, that's that, for another show. That's another show. That's another so, show. So the prosperity gospel. We, uh, we, yeah. for, li for listeners, uh, John and I, prior to realizing it was the 9-11 and we wanted to talk about that, we had— This is days ago, yeah, too. This, like, we, we, been... we weren't pondering that today or yesterday because I don't want to— yeah. Well, we we were looking through uh, religion news service kind of stacks of articles, and there were a handful of ones that drew our attention, and some of them included um, prosperity gospel or news within the prosperity gospel stuff. But I think, uh, given given our subject matter for nine eleven and uh, John's experience here, I think uh, we'll save those headlines for another show. Yeah, I, I'm yeah because I think it's yeah we should. It's, I, I just think it's a sexy sexy topic, you know. Yeah. To, and I, because and I, I didn't know what it was, I was like, maybe it's buying buying indulgences. No, well, I mean, there's a lot of similarity, a lot of similarity there. Yeah, which is what, which is essentially why I mean, Martin Luther was against, you know, the, the Catholic Church, and then ended up going on his own, right? His, you know, ninety nine points or whatever the hell he was doing, yeah. and uh, and then he, but and now you guys have a prosperity gospel, which doesn't seem like it's in alignment with Martin Luther and that's his business. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're exactly right. And you know, and would that be haram? Was that is that a biblical deviation? Is that heretical? I think. What, what would that uh, be? Yeah, I think it. I think it's heretical. Uh, the the prosperity gospel is something that uh, basically tries to 
well, there are many ramifications of it, but the idea is that your your faith, if God's blessing your faith, uh, if your faith is strong enough, then he will bless you materially in material goods, money, health, um, and that kind of thing. And so it's taking uh, passages in scripture, which we would understand to be kind of general principles, like Proverbs, and turns them into, tries to sell them as uh, something that's true always, right? So if I do this, if I act like this in such a way, then um, God's going to bless me materially. And that we find to be uh, anathema and well outside uh, scripture. Um, And then, you know, there are these, you know, uh, things like, you know, financial blessing, uh, requires a financial sacrifice, right? So you're you're prompting televangelists or prompting to people to give money, you know, give this much money so that you can be blessed later with more money and that kind of thing. And so they enrich themselves with uh, people who who buy that kind of thing and they enrich their pockets and live lavish lifestyles with uh, you know luxury goods and homes and jets and all that kind of stuff. And it's pretty appalling. Um, from a little orthodox expression of the faith, regardless of whether you're Catholic or Protestant. Yeah, I think I think all I think all faiths struggle with that identity of, you know, pr- prosperity and success, and how does that catalyze into uh, that humbleness and 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 charity. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, identity of being um, living a, a life of, I, I mean, it's not poverty because you're not making, taking vows of something, but you're trying to, you, you, you it's weird because we're talking about these individual, we're talking about Islam, American Islamic Congress, we're talking about what we were doing and how do we translate Western concepts to these collective cultures. But then in the same respect, when it comes to a, a religious community, it's a collective culture. Yeah. You're part of a community. And how do you help? Uh, how do you interact with and how do you keep that individual identity while maintaining uh, that that larger um, uh, uh, the larger identity with with your 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 religious community? You know, I always kind of say in, in in Afghanistan when we're we're, talk, we're doing all kinds of stuff about democracy, it's like no two democracies are the same, like much like no two Muslims are the same. So I used to say, yeah. and then, and I go, you know, there's, and I'll give you, give you an example, a, the democratic system in America and England are two different systems. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the, uh, the house of, uh, Lords is appalling to us, appalling to <laughs> right. us, a hereditary, a hereditary, hereditary body that, that where, where these guys can just make laws based on their bloodline is outrageous in America. You know, and as the highest evolution of Brit, as a New Yorker, and you know, I, I, you know, we we rebelled against all that nonsense, right? And right. so, in America, we would never have a hereditary body. Although I think that there are people that are trying to create legacies and and dynasties in America. So, I think that that's that's that you know that there's in Afghanistan the democratic system. I don't know if a high, I think a highly centralized system is bad for uh, for Afghanistan. I think they would have a. I think a decentralized federal system where the federal the government takes care of security, infrastructure and services. And then it's more like states rights, like America before the Civil War. Yeah. I think that's the system that would work for Afghanistan. Um, and it would be sort of regional. Um, and there's there many reasons for that. There's ethnic regions and religious regions and all different types of stuff going on there that that would work better in Afghanistan. Yeah. But uh, 
Well, and, and I, it, gets, I, it gets the root of the federalist model, right? Which is, uh, you know, a concept called subsidiarity, right? So it's yeah. you know, lo- local governing for what's local and uh, scales up from there to uh, national governing what is national uh, and, and tiers in between. And that's going to look different um, for successful democracy, whether it's in America or Britain or, uh, or Afghanistan. Well, and uh, Afghans are the most free people on the planet. As far as I'm concerned, they don't like governance. They don't like Afghans love freedom. I mean, they and they fight for it on a daily basis and they're struggling right now because of all the stuff that's happened. And that was the other lens that we were talking about. Do we talk about Afghanistan because yeah. all the stuff that's happening this week? But I think we're way out time wise. Yeah. So we're pretty far time wise. Yeah. And I want just one last comment. You talked about the Fukuyama stuff and the difference between East and West and, uh, I, I, your point is well taken as far as uh, the compatibility of different people with uh, democratic values and structures and that kind of thing. I, I think what it, what is important for Americans to hear is particularly on the subject that's close to your heart and my heart, religious free, uh, religious freedom, uh, that is communicated. That's it's understood differently in a collective culture than it is a Western culture. Because the Western culture, we take kind of take for granted the individualistic uh, view of religious freedom and conscience and all that kind of stuff and things that I affirm as a Baptist and as an American. Um, but when you get into more Eastern cultures, uh, the collective um, the collective nature of those cultures and society, um, they consider rights generally uh, and freedoms generally different. Right, uh, it's less individualistic. It's more related to family and uh, culture and religious and tribal groups. Right? Is that fair? Yeah. And, I and so. all I'm, to say, because I, I think it's it's we want to advance religious freedom, um, but at the same time, you have to figure out what what really resonates within a particular culture for them to affirm something like religious freedom or any other civil right. Well, I mean, you know, this simple termino- simple thing is terminology. When we talk about roundtables, we do the International Religious Freedom Roundtable. Roundtable doesn't mean anything right. in Islamic culture. So that's why we say you got to use the word Congress. Congress translates well. Uh-huh. So Congress translates to a gathering. The it's, There's word, direct words that, that, that mean – that have the meaning of roundtable in, in English, right? So yeah. roundtable to us doesn't mean a round table. I mean, maybe it does. But uh, maybe in Arthurian lore, um, you know, but, <laughs> which I would love to just talk about um, Arthurian lore, if you <laughs> but we're not, I'm, I'm going to hold myself back on that one. So, um, so, but the idea of 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 a, a gathering, and that the idea and the word Congress translates much better if you're going to say it's an international, it's an international religious freedom congress right or yeah. it's a religious freedom congress and then the word the words religious freedom it's not it's not a western concept it's in islam it's just in it's just in multiple places yeah right so you know i always use the pashtuns as 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 an example if we were going to talk about religious freedom we would have to take the construct of the pashtun money the 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 pashtun money is, is a, a, a their 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 cultural code of conduct of moral and ethical code of conduct and the idea of 
rights and respecting the other and religious freedom exists in multiple parts of that code. It's not, and it's, and if you talk about the, the religious freedom in the construct of that code in, and reference the, the, the parts, the multiple parts, the three to five parts that it's in, they got it. The Pashtun population gets it. Okay. Understood. Uh -huh. Yeah. If but if you walk in with international religious freedom is this and, you know, you guys don't have it. Um, we don't see it anywhere. And that's where cultural competency comes from. You know, that's where yeah. I think, you know, there's much there's people much more well versed um, um, th than I am in, in these systems. Although, you know, that I've been working with these systems for, you know, you know, 10 years formally, 26 years informally. And the challenge is, is that they just. You know, we got the, the, I think the contextualization is really important. So here's yeah. a collective culture. Mm -hmm. The Pashtun population is a non-state community, right? That, that borders that goes into Pakistan and uh, Afghanistan, and and they uh, they they have uh, their own code that that goes back that everyone Im, Im, embodies and everyone is 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 executing and utilizing on a daily basis. And if you walk in there and speak their language. And speak within the construct of their code, they get it right off the bat, and uh, and and I think that that's that shows that there's not an incompatibility. It just is a different. It's like translating language. Right. It's tra you know translating yeah. between two yeah. different systems. Uh -huh. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I think yeah, I, we're, I know we're way out because I you know I can talk, and I, I, I just want to talk about Arthurian lore right now. I, I, honestly, God, that's all I keep thinking about now. All right, so I, well, this is this has been a really good conversation. Uh, I know you felt like you you talked a lot, uh, but uh, I feel, terrible. Like, I feel the, terrible. Don't don't feel terrible. I uh, I wanted to give you a long runway because uh, I think especially on this day. Um, uh, it's important for folks to hear your story and your heart and, uh, some anecdotes about your family and your, uh, your community. So I thank you for taking the time to share that on our program. No, I, I appreciate you. You know, you know I, I, every day, every time we talk, I appreciate you putting up with all this, but I, and I appreciate your <laughs> thoughtfulness in, in this, you know, particularly cause nine 11 and particularly because we're, you know, we're, 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 you know, everybody's, I think has pre hit pretty hard this day and, yeah. and, um, and I, I think that it's not, we're not really executing a multi-faith agenda. I don't think it, it's just made, that right now the storytelling between the two of us reaffirms our friendship, you know, and yeah. how we interact and the purpose of why we kind of just wanted to get these conversations out. It's uh, we like to get other people to share their stories, you know, about their Muslim, their their experience in, as, a, as a Muslim in the country, and maybe they can submit to or to the website yeah and, and uh it's good crossingphase.com and, and uh yeah. send us contact we, information and we can and we i will promise to profile you know some of the stories in somewhere in yeah. sometime over the next 30 years yeah <laughs> well at least at least link them in the show notes and that kind of stuff but well i don't yeah. want to i don't i don't want to overcommit. you know so <laughs> so i would we'll definitely do it sometime yeah uh, but uh yeah i appreciate taking the time This has been Crossing Phase with John Pinna and Matt Hawkins, podcast of Roll Top Productions. We'd appreciate your review of our program wherever you listen, especially in the iTunes store, but we're also over at Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. 
Let us know what you think of the program on Twitter at MTHawk, at JT Pinna, or at Crossing Phase. Music for this episode is provided by Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes and other information is available at crossingfaiths.com.